Welcome to The Coaching Kool-Aid. Today, we're in conversation with Dr. David Drake, the legendary founder of the field of narrative coaching. We learn about what narrative coaching is, how it arose, and why David sees it as an important methodology for coaches of the future. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Coaching Kool-Aid. I'm Renee Lockwood. And I'm Melanie Weeks. And today we are lucky enough to be joined by David Drake, CEO of The Moment Institute based in California. And he is presenting here at the University of Sydney's Evidence-Based Coaching Conference of 2020 on narrative approaches to coaching. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you for talking to us today. You're welcome. How are you finding Australia so far? Well, I, I figured out the other day I've now nearing 60 visits to wow. Australia over the last 15 years. We'll probably so give you, you a passport. Yeah. yeah. So you clearly like it. I do. That's Quite fun of these Aussies. They're good people. <laughs> Playful. There are a few basic questions that we love to chat about with our interviewees. And the first one really is, what is your approach to coaching? Well, ironically, it's a narrative approach to coaching. <laughs> you <laughs> don't say. I know. I know a few things about stories. A lot of people don't know much about narrative I know. Yeah. So sort of narrative coaching was formed about 15, 20 years ago for two reasons mostly. One was it sort of was the obvious culmination of all of my research from my PhD. And, um, and I, so I just had this epiphany one day that I should just, rather than have this be a influence on my coaching, what if I just made it the, a coaching, that's why I invented the word narrative coaching in my office one day. And that was about 20, maybe 20 years ago. And the, but the other reason was uh, mostly to uh, give space for myself in coaching. So I was instinctively coaching this way and have been for 25 years. And so I just recognized that at the time, a lot of the literature about coaching was still much around grow and goals and all the things I debated Tony uh, forever on. Uh, and I just felt like that wasn't A, how I worked at all, and B, it wasn't what most of my clients seemed to naturally gravitate towards. And I, I often say in my programs, I've never had a, a client say, you know, I need more goals and objectives. I don't have enough of them. I'm, I've run out. Can you give me some more of them? Most of them are trying to shed them as much as possible and, and or kind of prioritize them. And so for me, this was just a way of me being at my best. So I committed a lot of uh, time to write and do research on narrative coaching. So it has a really strong evidence-based and research-based and sort of theory-based. Um, so it stands up and then kind of pushing the boundaries of coaching uh, in doing so. Do you have a fairly broad spectrum of clients? Is your client base quite diverse? Um, historically, like in uh, sort of in my the first 10, 15 years of the work, I did a lot of work in uh, healthcare and government uh, in the context of large-scale change projects. So I was linking the narratives of the employees uh, with the narratives of what the organization was trying to accomplish, particularly around change, and some of the systems they were trying to build, particularly around IT, and realized there's often a huge disconnect the IT people and the leadership and the staff, none of that connected at all. And so a lot of these government agencies were trying to reformat their entire service delivery model, for example. And I said, well, these three groups of people should actually talk to each other. And so I, for me, even though there's a lot of sort of deep psychological and almost spiritual sort of aspects to narrative coaching, it's very pragmatic. It's very grounded in what people, are, how they're actually talking, what they're actually working on. And we try to sort of bring the system into the room as much as possible. 
And one of the gifts of it being uh, based around narrative is narrative is... My, my early career was in sociology, so I want to look at cultural narratives, social narratives, gender narratives, and how that's shaping both the stories people are telling, but then how, are, how people are hearing that story and what they're doing with that story, so that when they go home after coaching, they have a less naive and more grounded approach to how they're going to live a new story in an environment they may not welcome that. Like once you become conscious of what your story is, yeah. you've got that yeah, and then, slightly more objective stance. Yeah, and then looking at what does that mean if I were to live from that identity or that story, how would that change my behavior and my yeah. relationship? And then how am I going to engage other people in that? And so one of the pieces we focus a lot on is I think traditionally coaching uh, puts, to Tatiana's point today, puts way too much emphasis on the individual. Mm. And the vast majority of our behavior is not has really very little to do with our personality and everything to do with our environment, past and present and future. Yes. And so that's actually the top part of, uh, of my talk today. Okay. Yeah. Just I'm blown away by the, the theme of the conference so far. I don't know if it's been intentional, but obviously it has been a call to action and it has been, to use a word that I don't particularly like, disruptive in yeah. the sense that it is very much critiquing the idea of old school ways of coaching, yeah. individualism, etc., and really looking, calling for people to take a broader look, but calling for people to really look at the values in, in the industry as a whole. How do you see narrative coaching fitting into that? See, I never was in the old school, mm. so I challenged that from day one. Mm. So many of the topics that are here I've been writing about for a decade, uh, and as, as of others, but um, it, it just really, you know, the world is changing faster than coaching is by far. And so we need to kind of, that's my talk today, is the beginning of a new phase of our business. We'll continue to teach narrative coaching, but we now have, I have my next book's um, in process, and it will basically look at, life beyond coaching and that coaching will be just one of our tools and resources will not be the point of our practice mm, okay. and uh, so we've got some other things we're hatching you mentioned what, what tatiana was talking yeah. about and one of the things we were really trying to achieve with this podcast was i guess problematizing some of the things that have become you know a little bit popular to popularize mm. that's right and in becoming popularized perhaps they've become diluted um, mm -hmm. and have lost a bit of their power i suppose so what do you see as being the biggest challenge that's facing coaches or the coaching industry at the moment i, I still think we're too enamored with our own methods mm. we're still and i look at all the coaches i've trained that we still have this sort of belief that i have to do something here i have to make something happen which then underneath that is I need to control the conversation so positive things happen. I need and we need to have structures and goals and methods and, and I think we spend a lot of time researching things which are important from a scholarship perspective and not so relevant to what people are actually facing as much because the gap between what we know and what we actually do is huge. And you know, many of us will raise our hand and say, yes, we, we consult res research-based practices and we reflect on our practice, which is true. And the, um, the reality is that there's so much more that's going on for our clients that we're not addressing. And so for me, we need to get out of our, our, our own way to trust that what the client needs is present, that what the client needs is complex, and that we're there to sort of, um, I look at, I teach the frame I teach around coaching is really just a change model. And I say, we're coming alongside somebody else 
who's trying to change. They were trying to change before they started with us. They're going to continue changing after they're done with us. So we're just observing like kind of where are they in this journey and what do we know about that journey to say these kind of things might be helpful to them to get to the next phase of that journey. And so it just moves to more of a sort of a witness role, an, almost an alchemy role, as opposed to I'm going to guide you through my coaching process. I remember listening to a talk of yours once where you actually said, and I'm not sure if you were using hyperbole, but you said you could pretty much coach somebody who doesn't speak the same language and vice versa. And I have. And you have. I have. So it wasn't hyperbole then? No. <laughs> so what is that about? So the, the thing I'm most known for in many ways now is uh, an exercise called the three chairs. And we're going to do that this afternoon, an iteration of that. But uh, part of that is um, it, it just it disciplines the coach to stay true to the field that's occurring in the conversation and asking people to become aware of, their, of the field from themselves. And then what needs to happen to the chairs, which are really just an extension of the narration that's going on in their mind and their body. And so it's putting them in touch with parts of themselves without us having to ask lots of questions. And so we're, we are, there's only really two questions we ask in this process. And it's the most amazing thing that I do. And, and people are often like, oh, they're just chairs. And well, yes, until you sit in them and make them part of this practice, and then they're not chairs. They're you. And so for me, it's uh, going back to the earlier question about what does coaching need? So we need to really appreciate if our clients and, and ourselves are really whole human beings, then how do we access the whole human being when we're coaching, not just the cognitive piece? And that means we need to be much more somatic, much more emotive, much more relational, much more mystical, um, all the levels in which humans actually operate. And then, you know, and for me, I've been explaining this hypothesis. I, I stopped about five years ago and will never return to teaching in academia. I don't do corporate executive education programs anymore the old way because I just didn't find them to add any real value and people agonized over creating them, but it didn't really make a difference. And so I'm running a major program in Victoria for the people at the very top of the government and the leadership program has no curriculum. It's nothing but narrative and, and conversation with peers and some coaching. How did you sell that? <laughs> so two things. So I know the woman who runs the larger program She's, I've worked with her for years, so she implicitly trusts me. Okay, that's but I, huge. Yeah. And, but I also have a, uh, you know, a list on a, probably a, a long page of client projects I've done this way for 15 years. So I've, you have evidence. I, well, on my own, I've never yeah. not worked this way. Mm. I've only had to contort myself to fit into other systems, like business schools and bigger companies that don't understand. Um, and so I just find that many of us have lots of deep knowledge from our degrees, from our life experience, our work experience. Our clients have lots of experience, lots of knowledge. And sometimes they might need a, a particular bit of new information or a, like, how do I do this? But there's a thousand ways they could get that without investing in a massive thing. And so my hypothesis has been that 80% of what it takes for them to be successful is learning how to self-regulate and mutually regulate. And to Tatiana's point, it's not just about them being able to do that. They need to be able to do that in relationship with others and know to what's happening in our environment that makes that difficult. Because when most of us misbehave and like say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, it's not because we didn't know the right thing to do. It's just we were stressed, pressured, angry, uh, you know, all kind of, like we've just driven two hours in rush hour traffic. 
And so uh, more and more I'm just helping people to say, what state are you in right now? From that state, can you accomplish what you're hoping to accomplish? If not, how do you need to move to a different state? And that get, getting into shift state, uh, and then also then to look at what, what things are coming at you from the environment, which makes being in that optimal state possible. Okay, let's work on that as well. That when you put people in good states, that most people do a, a great job most of the time. And they don't need all, this, all these fancy words and frameworks, and it's, you know, it's great for our purposes. They just want to have a decent life and be a decent person and cope with a crazy world that we live in. And so we've been just simplifying and simplifying how we teach coaching and how we do coaching to just, uh, and so when I do demos now, I don't do them as often as I used to. When, um, most of them are 10 minutes because we don't need any more time than that. Like what's the one thing right now that you need the most to move ahead? We'll get to that as fast as possible through our presence, not by our inter interrogation. And we will help you identify that thing and then what's the most important for you to do about that. Do you feel that your approach would work remotely in terms of via Skype or Zoom or do you think that the human presence is a fundamental? It's certainly, you know, uh, certainly there is a certain loss that occurs from in-person to video, from video to audio. And it all it really, it's like, you know, losing a, a sense, you know. It just means we have to be more attentive in other uh, domains. Like I said, I've, I've facilitated the three chairs uh, over the phone. I can't even see what's happening. I've facilitated where people are doing it in French. I don't speak French. I don't need to speak French. I've done it where people don't even identify what they're working on. They're just doing it themselves, and I'm just asking them some questions based on what we're observing. What's the key ingredient, then? Um, sort of high level of attunement to the field uh, and a willingness to surrender any need to control and understand. I think that's a key part, the yeah. willingness to surrender, because I think what you touched on before, too, in terms of one of the challenges that's facing coaching and coaches is this desire to add value yeah and that's come up in some of our previous interviews as well and the minute you've got that desire to add value as a coach automatically you see yourself as an integral part of yeah. the of the relationship so when you take yourself out of that it's really giving over much more well all of the yeah. power really to the person who should have it which is the coach yeah and so i, I guess i would look at I, I i agree and i would just frame it differently also in as well that, um, yes, we should be, value should be added through coaching. Otherwise, what's the point? So I want to make sure the client feels uh, more valued, but more valuable from the time after we're done. But it's not coming from me. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, you can add value. So sometimes you have expertise that would be helpful or another perspective or another example or another resource. Uh, but that's why we focus a lot on the field. So I, I'm working in this space with the client either physically or across Zoom. And that's what I want to nourish. So the field becomes available to the client so they're aware, more and more aware of what's actually happening. And it keeps me disciplined enough to say, my job is to support the field, to notice what's unfolding, to sometimes provide some boundaries or some support for the field, like especially if the client's getting agitated or sad or you know, maybe it needs a little bit more support. But it keeps me from intervening to try to change the direction of the conversation too much. Mm -hmm. And so most of my, we reverse the traditional role of coaching, which would, I ask a powerful questions and then you answer, and then I ask you another powerful question. So we, we just flip it and say, our only job is to witness what they're saying. And then, and help them notice what they're saying. 
and then listen even deeper to what they're saying, and then out of what they're saying, that's where my question comes, if any, if at all. Being that listening partner. Is yeah, but it's a serious, rigorous listening. It's not yes. just like a passive, no, like, passive. oh, yes, that's really lovely. Mm. Uh, and we try to control them through our empathy. So I, I feel like another theme of the conference so far has been, again, it might have organically emerged out of the fact that 2020 has been a difficult year for Australia so far. Yeah. We've had some serious, yeah. <laughs> serious implications of climate change um, yeah. that heightened everybody's anxiety mm-hmm. levels, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's been, I mean, when you can't breathe the air anymore. I, I was here during that worst of that for a week and I could, yeah, so it, I remember that. And you, you were living in that for months. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, it does change the way you think. Yes. And I think that there has been a sense throughout this conference of coaching can contribute in a positive way to making some changes mm-hmm. that are so required now that we are in a climate emergency. Do you see coaching as being able to play a role in that realistically? Um, so well, I'm actually um, actually with Josie, one of the people here, helping them put together a book on climate change and coaching. So I'm sort of advising them as an editor for that. And uh, in the, some new programs we're launching in my business, we're our next program, which actually I'm debuting in um, Melbourne on Thursday, a week from Thursday, um, is Beyond Coaching. I will continue to c- contribute to coaching through narrative coaching and conferences like this. And I feel like most of my work for the future is beyond co- where coaching is. And so for me, I think coaches have such, are such an amazing resource. Uh, even with like Travis's conversation around, you know, where's technology going and how's that, you know, where's that coaching in that? But for me, it means it's a reformulation of what co- we think coaching is. And so coaching is traditionally a very reactive business that we take whatever our clients give us. And we might make recommendations or shape projects and companies, but in reality, we just receive. And so that's no longer enough. Too many of our organizational cultures are stifled and people are suffering and mental health going away, you know, issues are going up and uh, anxiety is going up in the, in the States, you know, opioid use suicide rates it's because people can't tolerate the life we've created for ourselves and the climate change emergency you've been experiencing here is just another example of that and so part of the hope of the book and some of the programs that they're creating is really around engaging coaches in a different conversation it's no longer enough about how to be a better coach that's just a starter the real conversation is how to make coaching better so that's really what the next sort of decade of, and the last, probably last decade of my full-time work is really about doing that within coaching, stepping outside of coaching, uh, where coaching is just one resource, and then creating this whole new program for on integrative development, which is what's next for me. Sounds very exciting. Watch this space. Can't wait to read the book. Can't <laughs> yeah. wait to see where you take it. Thanks. David Drake, thank you so much for talking thank to you. us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, David.